Welcome to episode 32 of 1530. Welcome to 1530. Now introducing your hosts, Ben and Matt. Our stat of the day is 20. As in 20 all. So Rafael Nadal, he was able to win his 20th Grand Slam um, because he won 13 Roland Garros titles. So he was able to beat Djokovic and extend his lead, his record in the amount of Roland Garros titles and tying Roger Federer with most Grand Slams all time by a male player. So it's pretty incredible that Rafael was able to do that. We'll, we'll give you more of a statistic um, beyond just that number. So this year, Nadal has won 77% of his first serves on all surfaces and is acing his opponents 9% of the time. If these numbers seem pretty high for Nadal, because they are, they're much higher. They're about 5% higher than his career averages for both aces and first serve points won. So Nadal has been criticized for having a less effective and maybe even a more predictable first serve. Not necessarily a bad first serve, but just doesn't win as many free points. He doesn't have... He more just tries to spin it to his opponent's weakness, which is normally their backhand. But he's clearly worked on this. 5% better is huge when you're talking about tennis. Um, we know Carlos Moya was trying to, to help Rafael Nadal mix up his serves using more body serve and using more, yeah, going for some big serves. Obviously, you can see that with the aces. And so I just want to say, right, how, how are you able to beat these timeless greats if you're a player up and coming if they keep improving every facet of their games, especially their weaknesses. So clearly Nadal's love affair with the French Open continues. But Matt, as a, as a Nadal fan, what does that mean for Nadal hitting 20 and tying, tying Federer? Uh, I think it's huge, right? I mean, it's a constant debate about who the best player in tennis is. And I, it probably comes down to the big three currently, and nobody will really ever be able to make it. Uh, make a, a firm decision on that, especially until the, after everybody's done playing. But I, I mean, it's just crazy. Nadal was completely dominant in the French Open. There were concerns that, you know, the build-up, the tournaments building up to it weren't enough, and he didn't have enough to get in the groove. And it was later in the season, so the temperature was different. So this was off. So I mean, it, it was just a lot of things, right? Oh, Nadal's not going to do it this year, but. He comes in and he bagels joke in the first set and takes it straight sets. And it's just, yeah, I mean, the French is home for, for Rafa. And I think it's his for as long as he wants it. <laughs> I don't yeah. think. So. I mean, maybe team has put it together. He's put it together, you know, the last couple of years. Struggled against uh, uh, Schwartzman this past year, who was playing fantastic on, on clay. I know people were worried about that match. Um, but... Uh, Best of five, Rafa and Clay is just – in that aspect, he is the best, right? Yeah. <laughs> nobody will ever compare to, to Rafa. I guess I can't say nobody. But nobody that's on on circuit right now will ever compare to Rafa and Clay. Right. Yeah, his record – I mean, like you said, he's had the record. He just keeps extending it almost every year. And it's just – it's like a mountaintop. If someone's going to conquer it, I, I don't know. That person would have to be – Obviously, Rafa like that. I just don't see that happening. But like saying, you never, never say never. I guess, but it'd be very difficult to beat that record. But pretty amazing. You, you actually stole what I was going to talk about too with the bagel, right? That was that's amazing 
You know, Djokovic is hard to beat. He's hard. It's hard to even get a set off of Djokovic. We all know this watching Djokovic. Even, you know, Federer and Nadal have at times can struggle to, to win sets off him. And if you do, it's it's usually tighter. But recently, obviously, Nadal did it to him at the French Open final in the first set. And Federer actually did it also recently in the Wimbledon 2019 final in the second set. He got him 6-0. Of course, Djokovic came back to win that Wimbledon final anyways. But just interesting that, you know, Djokovic, I could keep saying he's at his peak of his powers, is getting better and better, but somehow... Federer and Nadal, they're not backing down, and they're getting better. And they proved that with that 6-0. Nadal proved that with that 6-0 beatdown, and then he didn't let Joe come back into it. Beat him in straight sets. That was I, – I was I was feeling uh, Nadal in four sets, but it was in, – in tight four sets, actually. But that never came to fruition. Djokovic was never comfortable, and Nadal was dominant. So before we get into those numbers, yeah, it's just, it's just amazing. And it was cool to see Federer's uh, reaction to it, right? He shared something on Twitter – that was basically congratulating Rafael uh, Nadal and saying, you know, we've had many great moments. Hopefully this isn't, you know, being 20, getting 20 slams isn't the last of them, but he was, he was definitely complimenting his rival who obviously ties him up um, in in the all times, you know, scheme of things, but it was cool to see that graciousness from Federer as well. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's an interesting comparison and part of the reason that I get frustrated with joke a lot of the time is, I don't know. I, I, my question for you, Ben, this might seem out of, out of left field, but I'll, I'll bring it back into uh, relevance in a second. My question is, does, is, is success at least, and we're, I'm talking just tennis here. Is a player's success dependent on them enjoying the sport they're playing? What do you think? Sorry, say that, say that one more time. So, it, do you do you think that a player's success is dependent on them enjoying the game, them Absolutely. having a love for the game? Absolutely. Yeah, I agree, and I think that I think that Djokovic is has shifted to just chasing chasing titles, just chasing numbers. I, I think he is very clearly at this point just chasing records. He's always been chasing Rafa and Fed for, for, you know, number of majors won. you know, he's holding on to the, to the one seed. He's going to lock that in. Uh, it's impossible for him not to at this point, mm-hmm. but I, I, I don't know. I think that, you know, he had years of dominance and he's still a fantastic player and he will still win lots of tournaments. But I think that, I think that, Joke probably doesn't enjoy playing the game as much as he did because I think he's been spending too much time just chasing stuff. And I don't know. I wonder if that's going to affect his his success in some of these majors, at least against Rafa and, and Roger, because I think that they those two still enjoy playing the game. I mean, you talk about Fed's response to Rafa when he tied him. He, he could have gone, you know, the opposite direction with that. Um, or just not said anything. I think that they still have such a passion for the game. Whereas I think joke is more just, I want, I want records. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think you definitely bring up a good point because you could look at the the super counterfactual. You could look at Curios, who really hasn't had much success at all, and the talent that he is, and the talent that he's been touted, and the talent that I think he still is, but he hasn't been able to achieve, you know, nearly anything. So I think you know, had you know, he even openly talks about how basketball is his favorite sport. He does like tennis, but he I think he struggles with 
with finding his love for the game and the results haven't been there. So like I said, I think you're doing your heart in the game and it's weird with Djokovic. I, I do feel like he loves the game, but there have definitely been ebbs and flows, right? Like he said, once he won the French open, uh, finally, right. He's only won it once, just like Federer completed his career slam. He said he felt emptiness. Like he loves the game, but I think you're right. Sometimes maybe he overthinks the records and the titles. And then once he gets it, he's like, what, what next? And we don't see that with Roger or Rafa, right? They're always, this is the game least, they love and they keep going. So yeah, at least not openly. And I, I'm sure that there's some sort of that, you know, there's gotta be some drive there for Rafa and, and Roger to, you know, to, to win, you play, you, you, yeah. love, you love playing, but you want to win at the same time. Joke is just much more open. And uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. If, I, and obviously, this is all speculation on my side, but the last tournament that Joke played in, as soon as he got the, <laughs> what? He got the wins he needed to lock down the one seed or to be in top player in the world. And uh, he seemed to kind of give up in that last match that he played that he lost. Yeah, it's a good, yeah, it's an interesting point. Yeah. Obviously, that's speculation. Who really knows? You know, maybe maybe he was hurt or something. Right. Yeah. And and like you're saying, Djokovic is just, and maybe that's why, you know, even Federer, you know, maybe won't admit it now, but he said, yeah, Djokovic used to kind of rub, you know, me the wrong way, basically, because he he is a much more open, right? Like, I'm coming for Federer, you know, Fed's title, Nadal, more respectful. Maybe he is, and he, you know, tied him up, but. There's just a lot more of the combativeness from Djokovic, but a lot of people like it because it spices up the game. You know, a lot of people say, oh, Fed and Nadal are too nice and all this. But yeah, yeah. I think it, it's it's also a weird thing, right? Because you have Federer and Nadal going at each other, right? Playing off into the sunset and to the end of all eternity. They're old, but they're still winning titles. And then Djokovic has made this surge where he's like, I'm in the conversation. You know, what about me, like a younger brother? And, uh, I, don't, I could tell that maybe be a, a little bit annoying for, for Federer and Nadal to share the spotlight with even another person. But, I mean, Djokovic has, has kind of earned his place at the table, like it or not, unfortunately. And not, not that I'm a huge joke fan, but, you know, he has won a lot. So Oh, no doubt. No, yeah. Difficult. I mean, he is a fantastic yeah. player. There's no no argument with that. Yeah, it's difficult. But, yeah, you bring up some good points there. But let's, uh, let's go ahead and uh, – and talk more about the French Open final, right? So I'll preface this by saying, you know, Djokovic had his moment in, I believe it was the 2019 Australian Open final. Nadal came in there playing really good. I don't think he had dropped a set. Djokovic comes in there playing really good. We expected a very tight match. One of their closest matches of all time was Australian Open final of like 2012, I believe. This one in 2019 was extremely lopsided. Djokovic destroyed Nadal in straight sets. Similar scoreline, right? Not very competitive sets, but this time it was Nadal's turn, and so we'll 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 go through the numbers. French Open, Nadal kind of exacted his revenge, and that was kind of something mentioned by the commentators. And I kind of agree with that you don't, you're not used to seeing these greats, you know, outdo each other by such huge margins in the final. It's just not you know we're used to seeing competitive matches that are fun. This was not a fun competitive match, unless you're a Rafa fan that likes to see the carnage. So let's go through the numbers here, and it was interesting. On the French Open website, they actually had the stats, and you could sort them by significance. So I was confused by that. I'm like, significant as far as the stat most likely to have turned the match, but you can actually go through each set, and you can sort the stats, and it was different based on each set. So it clearly was based on their model for the whole match, and the top stat that they had was winners, which actually Djokovic won more, 38 to 31. So like, okay, that's interesting. 
But the next one was unforced errors, where clearly that was the key for the match to me, because Djokovic committed 52 unforced errors, Nadal committed a tiny, tiny 14. So it's like, okay, there's the match right there, right? Djokovic is hitting more winners, but he's also spraying the ball over the court. Nadal hardly missing. The next one, interestingly, was net points one. Uh, Djokovic was better at the net at 67% to Nadal 53%, but again, they didn't go up that much to the net. And then, as you could expect on clay, receiving points were huge. Nadal destroying Djokovic at 51% to 33%. Like, I mean, when you, if you just saw that number alone, you would know this match was not close. Nadal was in every one of Djokovic's service games. And this one thing I want to talk about, right? I, I start off with the stat of the day talking about how good Nadal has been on first serves this year and aces this year. So the French Open final was no exception. Djokovic is usually known for having a better first serve, more speed, more variety on both first and second serves. I looked at the stats for the speeds. So their top speed on first serves was about the same. Their average first serve speed was 114 miles an hour for Djokovic, 112 mile an hour for miles per hour for Nadal. So Nadal, that's 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 quite a bit better than we're, we're used to seeing him. And then for second serve, it was 90, it was about, the, about 90 miles per hour for each of them. So Nadal was there. He was in, um, you know, hitting some great first serves, just as you'd expect Djokovic to do. And it's funny to see uh, Federer and Djokovic, when you see them in their matches, their numbers look very, very similar as well on the first serve speed, second serve speed. Now Nadal's like, all right, I can, you know, spin is great on my first serve, but I can also hit it harder. And I think it definitely paid off for him because his first serve, um, his first serve points, one, were 67% for Nadal. So maybe low on like a fast court, but for a, for a clay court, that's pretty good. And Djokovic was only 50%. So again, he's just blowing him out of every statistical category. And then you go down to break points, one, 39% for Nadal, 20% for Djokovic. And then aces, Nadal out ace Djokovic. Four to one. Again, it's a slower court. You wouldn't even expect that many aces, but still, it just showed. Nadal was having a great serving day, and then slower conditions, he was able to be in every one of Djokovic's service games. But I just thought, I just thought those numbers were interesting. You usually don't see that. Had the names, had the names been hidden at the top, I would have guessed Djokovic would have had the more aces. Djokovic would have done better on first serve points. So just thought that was interesting. Yeah, those are really good points. Uh, you'd go back to the unforced errors. Nadal had 14, and I want to say that he only had, like, I mean, shoot, I think you could count on one hand the amount that he had in the first set. He That that bagel was just the cleanest tennis I think Rafa's played in all of French Open. It was, was dialed in. It was insane. But certainly boring tennis, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> if you're... Not a Rafa fan. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, at least Djokovic was able to to push it to seven five in the third set, and that's like you know really complimenting Djokovic because the first two sets six zero six two. That I mean, that's not a contest against anybody, whether you're an all time great or not. So it's um, right. and and you and you talked about the slower conditions. People said that's not going to benefit Nadal. The new branded tennis balls. Nadal's complaining about them. That's not going to benefit Nadal because Roland Garros used new tennis balls this year. Um, you have the cold, you know, you had all these different things. And to be fair, you know, one thing that we talked about in previous years was the warm-up tournaments, how sometimes Nadal takes a little longer, not always, but sometimes he takes a little longer to get into form on clay. 
and he loses the first couple warm-up tournaments. But it's nice because you have Monte Carlo, you have Madrid, you have Rome. But in the aggregate, he usually ends up winning one of those, and that usually helps him to uh, to move on in the French Open. And you can see his margin of win at the French Open is usually better when he does better on these warm-ups. And he said, well, there's only one warm-up tournament. It was Rome, and he lost to Schwartzman. So people were saying, oh, the writing's on the wall. Nadal's not going to win. And maybe, you know, not that I was necessarily betting against him, but I thought, you know, if there's a year that he's not going to win it, this might be one of the years. But, you know, Nadal continues to prove the doubters wrong. It's still clay. It doesn't matter if it's in May, October. It doesn't, doesn't matter. Uh, like you said, Paris is his. I, I was disappointed in team losing to, to Schwartzman in the Epic, but to be fair, he just won the US Open title. Letdowns happen right after you win that title. And Schwartzman played such – I mean, that was one of the most entertaining matches of the tournament. That was extremely tight, and Schwartzman played electric tennis to, to, to win that one. So, Yep, Schwartzman, I, didn't he just uh, win a spot at the – Tour finals at the end of the year, I he guess. Did, a couple yeah, weeks. since uh, yeah. since Federer won't be there, he who will be Schwartzman will take his place. So pretty cool. Yeah. So uh, just a testament, uh, a nice reward for him. I, you know, cherry on the top for a, a fantastic year that he's had. May not have the titles to prove it per se, but he has played some really good tennis, solid tennis. Yeah, and he's just amazing because he's one of the shortest players on tour. Don't know, don't remember his exact height. Maybe we can look it up. But I mean. Definitely five foot, you know, small, not, not even golf in where he's like five foot 10 or 11, but he makes up for it with every ounce of, you know, smart and grit. And he hits a big tennis ball. Mm -hmm. uh, he hits some great shots. So he's uh he's five, seven. So Schwartzman pretty, pretty small for a tennis player. We'll just put it that way. He, and it's funny too, right? Because he's Argentine. And the last big Argentine that's played extremely well is on the complete opposite scale of that, you know, the, the giant from, from Tyndall, from Mr. Uh, Toronto Blank now, Del Potro. Del, Six Potro. Del Potro. So kind of funny to see them standing next to each other. You'll sometimes see in photos and it's, it's awesome. But let's go ahead and move on and talk about, so obviously we know Nadal, amazing, 13 French Open, uh, 20 Grand Slam titles total. Let's talk about some of the some of the younger guys. So Tsitsipas played pretty interesting as well. He was able to fight back against Djokovic and push Djokovic to five sets at Roland Garros. He was struggling with an injury, so the fifth set itself wasn't very close. But it's just amazing. Tsitsipas is almost like a unicorn. I don't know how he's good on every single surface. Yeah, I was looking up his win percentage on clay. It's actually better than it is on hard court. Um, He's comfortable. It's interesting. He's comfortable on the grass. He he does need to get better in the longer rallies and as well as just tightness, right? That US Open match against Chorich. He, he had so many chances to win it and couldn't, but Tsitsipas got to be feeling good about his game on every surface. And don't forget, last year he won the World Tour Finals or the ATP Finals, which is indoors. He plays amazing on indoors. So it'll be cool to see how he does at London. But what are your what are your thoughts on, on Tsitsipas and his his game? Oh, I agree with you. I think, um, yeah, he all, he seems to be exceeding expectations in a lot of areas that we, you know, obviously aren't expecting super high results from him, such as playing on clay and things. It's great. I, I think it's great to see this young competition finally, you know, put together solid play on different surfaces. And it'll be interesting to see. It's, it's a shame. He was, 
as you mentioned, that last set against Djokovic, clearly injured. I mean, he was barely moving at that point, which is such a shame because he fought really hard to get back in that match and then to be sidelined like that was super frustrating, I'm sure. But no, yeah, I mean, he was two sets slowed down as well, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure that. Yeah. Yeah, he was down love too and came back, took it to the fifth set, and then. Such a fighter. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and we'll, um, so, you know, in this episode, we want to talk about his number, especially comparing last year to this year. He did make his second Grand Slam semifinal, which was at Roland Garros. His first, of course, was his introduction to the tennis world. A lot of people didn't know who he was when he beat Roger Federer um, en route to his semifinals um, at the Australian Open in 2019. So it's great, you know, people were saying, oh, that's just a fluke, but he made, you know, made another, another Grand Slam final, had to fight almost made the final. So you got to, got to give him props. I want to talk about another player though. Let's talk about Andre Rublev. This guy is a hitter. He's awesome. So I want to talk about his numbers as well as Medvedev. So before I get into those numbers, Matt, any, any comments on any of those players? Uh, Yeah, I'll let you go for it. All right. You've got got your thoughts on it. I got my thoughts on it. Pretty, pretty crazy. So I guess we'll start with, um, let's start with Andre Rublev. So Federer, he said last year, um, or I guess, yeah, end of 2019, beginning of 2020, he said Rublev would be a player to watch, a fascinating player to watch in 2020. And Federer wasn't kidding around. So Federer's first meeting against Rublev was a 6-3-6-4 thrashing by the hands of Rublev, beating Federer on one of Federer's better, best courts. He's really, really good in Cincinnati, the fast courts. And Federer was completely hit off the court. Federer was not injured. Um, Rublev is just this good. So Federer was definitely, um, you know, he was definitely right. This year was Rublev's year. He had he has five titles to his name. He has 40 match wins. So I think that's the most on tour. So, but let's let's dive into the numbers of, of this young gun here. So he's obviously a Russian. I compared his numbers from... Um, his career to the last to this last year. So I re- really want to focus on, I don't know if you've watched many of Rublev's matches, but the serve, the serve numbers are insane. So he's, he's acing 4% better this year since before last year, he's winning 7% more points one on his surf, first serve. So I don't know if you've seen this guy hit first serves and, and the number we're talking about here is improving from 73% to 80%. The guy doesn't lose first serve points. So he doesn't hit every serve this way, but this just shows kind of his pattern of thinking. He hits a very, very good wide first serve, um, more of a kick or a, or a powerful first serve out wide, pulls his opponent off the court, and then his next ground stroke is a bomb in the other other side of the open court. That's kind of his strategy. I mean, he does mix it you know, down the line. You can't just be predictable um, at, this, at this stage of tennis, at this level of tennis, but... I've seen him play do that play many, many times, which is kind of like a Federer play at Wimbledon, uh, to be honest. You hit that really good wide serve on the line, your next shot is out wide for a winner. So we're talking 80% first serve points. And this guy is not a huge guy. You wouldn't you know, call him a major server. He's not an Isner um, or even a Federer or Djokovic as far as this, that smart of a server, but he's getting there. I mean, 80% first serve points, that's crazy. So he improved that by 7%. He improved his second serve points one as well by 3%. Uh, he was just below 50%. Now he's about 53%. So again, 
You need to be able to win those second serve points. You need to be able to be in those long rallies in order to win matches. And his movement really did improve as well, but we'll get to that at the return. So because of these improvements that he's made on his serve, these little adjustments, he's winning 7% more service games. So up from 80% to almost uh, 87% of service games won. That's a ton of service games. Um, even some of the top guys, you know, who serving, it's like 90% is, is a great number. Um, so this guy's this guy's up there with the good servers, is what I'm is what I'm saying here. On the return, fantastic in most numbers as well. He's won uh first serve return points uh by three and a half percent better. Second serve points won about the same, almost a percent better. But then overall, he's uh he's winning three percent more break points, overall winning five percent more return games. So if you couple seven percent more of your own games, you're winning service games one. 5% more return games won. Overall, this guy has won 25% more matches than he did in 2019. He's won 85% of his matches, which that number is insane. Um, and 60% is what he won last year, which is not, not horribly bad. So very, very impressed with Rublev. He's improved his movement and his defense. He's able to win some of these longer points. But to me, it's just how good his first serve is. His first serve and his first serve... Um, his shot right after that is one of the best one-two punches I've seen in a long time. So that's Andre Rublev. I'm really excited to see him at the, um, the ATP finals and see what work he can do. I think he can go far, um, if not win the title based on based on that, because the courts play pretty fast there. And I think this uh, his style of game could suit it well. Him him and Tsitsipas play really well. So they um, Rublev beat Tsitsipas on clay in Hamburg in three sets. That was the final played right before the French Open, week before. And then they faced each other in the French Open, which Tsitsipas won a tight four-setter. So these guys are pretty fun to play against each other. I think they were also in the next-gen finals uh, a couple years ago, which uh, Tsitsipas won. So these guys got a fun rivalry, really good players. And Rublev's another guy that's really good on the clay. He's good on most surfaces, which you look at his game style and you would think, oh, yeah, you know, hard courts for sure. Probably not clay, but he's – Proving everyone wrong. His forehand is a beast. So there's Andre Rublev. I don't know if uh, – have you been able to watch any of his matches, Matt? You know, I haven't. Um, but that, those are crazy numbers. And I have heard about him. Um, it, he's definitely garnered attention this year, right? Because, as you said, he's kind of stormed onto the scene um, with all of his match wins. Uh, it'll be interesting to see consistency, right? That's always our yeah. biggest frustration with these young guys coming up is – can they maintain it? Can they keep it up? And so, yeah, it'll be really nice to see him play um, some real big tournament, big matches there at the end of the year, and then see what happens next year as things get back to a more normal schedule, hopefully. Yeah, definitely. 85% match wins one. Uh, if you can keep that number and be anywhere close to that number, I mean, this guy will win, continue to win titles like he did five titles this year and most likely slams or go very deep in slams. So, I'm excited for him. I, I was able to watch him. It was in the 2019 um, uh, Indian Wells um, against, uh, I can't remember who he played, but some low-ranked player, but we were able to be, it was one of the smaller stadiums or smaller courts, able to be right up close and see this guy in action. And he really does have a, has a great forehand, great on offense, and he really has improved his defense. So again, a, a player that, you know, you, you recognize your strengths and you work on it, but you also try to minimize the weaknesses. And he's He's definitely do, done that. He moves a lot better on court. So let's talk about another player, Medvedev, who 
you know, has had a great year this year, great year last year, making the U.S. Open final. A little disappointed on clay, though. So he lost in the first round at Roland Garros. Um, so kind of interesting. His his game style, his movement's really well. He has really good movement. He has really good shot making on both wings. So kind of puzzling that he's so bad on clay. But well, let's let's dive into the numbers and look at that. So I've I've prepared a, um, some numbers here, looking at his career on hard versus because hard is his best, just looking at clay and what the big differences are. So if we look at his serve numbers, he's he aces 7% more of the time. So he aces about 11% of the time on hard court versus almost 5% on, on clay. So, and you'll see this theme kind of on his serve. He's, his serve is very good. I just didn't realize how reliant he is on winning points off of his serve because his ground strokes, his rallies are so great. Anyways, his first serve points one is on hard court is 75% on clay. It's only 66%. So difference of 9%, which you could say, okay, I mean, I could understand that. You're not getting as many free points, but his second serve points one is slightly lower um, on clay than on hardcore. And usually you want that number to be slightly higher, like Nadal, because um, you're going to get in longer rallies. So overall, he's able to save 8% more break points on hardcore than he is on clay. And he's winning... 10% fewer service games on clay. So he's winning 83% of his service games on hard court, only 73% on clay. So that's 73% is not a great number unless you're breaking every other game. Maybe like a Schwartzman could have that number, but Medvedev, maybe not so much. On the return, he's he's also better on the return, which you'd expect, you know, clay, there's more rallies. Maybe you get some more um, some more points on the return, but that's not the case for Medvedev. I don't, I just don't think he's comfortable on the clay, especially with the movement. So he gets aced 3% more on the clay, or excuse me, on the hard court, which makes sense. And then uh, for his first serve return points one, he wins 2% fewer points one on hard court. Again, that makes sense. But on the second serve points, he's winning 5% more on hard court. That, I mean, that should totally be flipped. He should be winning way more second serve points because you have more opportunities on the clay. And then he's winning 9% more break points on the hard court than he is on the clay. And so then overall, he's winning 4% fewer service games on clay. So overall, this is leading him to, to win 34% fewer matches on, on clay. He's, he's only won 36% matches on clay compared to 70% of his matches on hard court. So again, it's one of those things where very, very small numbers can kind of compound and then I mean, at least a totally huge difference, right? You're he's winning only a third of his matches on clay, less, you know, just over a third of his matches, and on the other side, he's winning, you know, over two thirds of his matches on hard court. So, I think Medvedev's really got to work on that return game on clay and try to find some way to win longer rallies um, without your serve on the hard or on the clay. So, I don't know. I just think that's interesting. You can see it with a player like Murray. Andy Murray really struggled with clay for a long time. Um, then he finally got good and made a French Open final. He beat Nadal in a couple of of clay court finals. Not at Roland Garros, but I kept Madrid and things. So Murray, and he even said that. He's like, I didn't really look forward to the clay. It took me a while to get used to it. I wonder if Medvedev is going to be that player because he's his numbers are night and day. It looks like you're looking at a different player. But then you look at Rublev or Tsitsipas, and their numbers are about the same or better on clay. So it's just interesting to to look at those differences. I had to imagine. I mean, obviously, you're playing a lot more hardcore as well. Um, 
So if clay is already something you're uncomfortable with, your your ability to get practice on the courts is not great. But it is what it is. It'll be interesting to see if he can turn it around, be competitive. Right. Yeah, it's totally a snowball effect, right? So, so you show up, maybe you practice a little bit, you lose in the first round like he did at Roland Garros. Like, okay, click, click court season's over. Or even if you lose at the first round for one of the smaller tournaments, you move on to the next one. But if you keep losing early in the rounds, you're never going to get much max practice and your numbers are going to look bad. So, yeah, that is interesting. Smaller sample size, but he can hopefully turn that around and, and play better on the clay. Let's see. Let's go ahead and look at uh, Stefano Tsitsipas's numbers. So just looking at, you know, last year to this year, just see, you know, because my because my guy was like, yeah, he improved maybe, but not maybe not that much, even though he made a semifinal. And I was actually wrong on that. He's actually improved in a lot of aspects of his games of his game. So I want I want to talk about those real quick. So Tsitsipas is acing his opponents one percent of the time more this year than last year. Uh, his first serve percentage is up 4%, which is good because um, now it's in the mid-60s instead of the low 60s. His first serve points one is up about a percent and a half to 78%, which is an excellent number. His second serve uh, ser- second serve points one is up almost 3.5% from 53.5 to 57.5 almost. So that's a huge one for Tsitsipas is that second serve points one getting in those longer rallies. And that's that's a pretty sig- big significant number there, 3.5%. Overall, that's helping him to save almost 3% more break points won, uh, break points saved, and then winning almost 4.5% more service games won this year to last year. For a guy that was already winning uh, 85% of his, of his service games, that's an excellent number. Getting close to, like I said, those top servers save, uh, win about 90% of their service games. And he's right there at at 90%. And on his return game, right? He kind of struggles on the return game sometimes, sometimes on the movement. And he's he's actually shown some improvement on that as well. He's improved by 1% on first serve return points one and about a half a percent on his second serve return points one. So he's getting close to that 30% number on the first serve points one, which is kind of where you want to be, um, especially if you're not a, a Djokovic or some, some crazy returner. Second serve points one, return points one does need to go up a little bit further. He's only at now 49%, but he's clearly shown improvement in most of these categories. And overall, his return games won as a percentage is up 1%. So overall, that's led him to win an extra 6% of matches this year. So again, those kind of small, you might think, oh, 1% better um, on first serve return points one's not a huge deal. Or yeah, it's only 3% better on the break point save, but that translates into matches, matches one by 7%. That allows you to go one round deeper, one round closer to a final. And I think Tsitsipas has shown that, right? So maybe not as dramatic or drastic as an Andre Rublev in improvement. But think about it. Tsitsipas was already serving great last year. And he's made some incremental changes. It'll be very interesting to see next year if he's able to tinker with his game a little bit more. Hopefully be a little bit more clutch in those big situations, especially in those breakpoint chances or match points and be able to close out the matches. Um, but again, we have a great young player here, good on all surfaces. I'm excited to see him play not only in London this next week, but um, next year for the Australian Open, see what see what game he has he has to play. But again, his numbers have gotten better. It's again, just those small tweaks to the game. All 
All right. So Matt, any final thoughts on, I mean, we're wrapping up toward the end of the year. We'll probably do at least one more episode kind of talking about London and the ATP finals, but any final thoughts on players you want to you'll be looking at in Paris this week or any final thoughts on, on any of the players I just talked about? Yeah. I mean, this is something that Rafa still hasn't won. Right. So true. I, I think that would be nice to have in his trophy case. Um, but other than that, I mean, I'm just interested to see, you know, some of the other competition. It'll be fun to watch them and fun to see some high quality tennis. Yeah, this is definitely one of my favorite tournaments of the year. I mean, there's a lot of fun slams and a lot of fun draws, but this is one where you don't have to wait until the later rounds to get good matches because every single match is a good match because mm-hmm. you have the top eight players in the world. So tons of good matchups. You'll be seeing players that maybe haven't played each other a ton. Um, I mentioned Rublev and Tsitsipas played each other a few times, but I don't know. I don't even know if Rublev has played Djokovic, for example, or not that I can remember. So it'd be cool to see based on their groups, you know, who's going to play who. And then obviously, even if you're not in the same group, you can meet each other in the final or the semifinal. So um, like I said, I'm excited for that. Just to see good tennis, see some good matchups and hopefully end the year out this crazy year on a, on a, on a good note. For sure. And it's best of three. So there's always a better chance for some, I want to say upsets. I mean, obviously these guys are all top tier, but uh, to see some, results that maybe you're not expecting right and, and that's another note too we haven't had a repeat champion since Djokovic in uh, I can't remember the year now 2016 or 2015 around there so we've had a new champion every year right so last year I said was Tsitsipas I believe the year before that was uh, Zverev the year before that was Dimitrov so we're we gonna have a new champion or is uh or is Djokovic gonna gonna break the tie with Federer I believe they're tied at six all like I said Nadal could be a first-time champion Obviously, there could be many other first-time champs. Tsitsipas would love to go back-to-back. So it could uh, – I think the narrative will be interesting this week. No doubt. All right. Well, as always, uh, visit us at cognitionsphere.com. Our theme music was brought to us by Kevin MacLeod with excerpts from his song Cool Rock. And please share our podcast with a friend that loves tennis. Uh, we'd appreciate that. And until next time, we will see you on the court.